Here's your host, Matt Sonnen. Welcome, everyone, to episode 47 of the COO Roundtable. Uh, this is the final episode of 2022. Time, time sure flies when you're having fun, I must say. <laughs> um, I'm very excited for today's conversation. I've grabbed two incredible leaders who have both been valuable additions to our COO Society community. They both have shared their wisdom with our group and have always posed really great questions to me and the other members. So I'm really excited to have them share their experiences with our podcast listeners today. Um, joining us from First Wave Financial in Satellite Beach, Florida is Julie Allen. Julie is the Vice President of Business Operations. She's been at the firm for a little over two years after a long career in healthcare. I'll let her tell you that story, but she said while listening to some old episodes, just in, in prep for this recording, she really resonated with Mike Reed from Dakota Wealth. He joined us for episode 19 and talked about his transition from healthcare to financial services. So Julie will tell you her story in just a minute, but, but uh, first off, let me just say welcome, Julie. Thanks so much, Matt. I'm really honored to be on the podcast today. Great. And joining Julie from Vance Wealth in Pasadena, California, uh, is Chief Operating Officer Chris Pelch. Chris has spent most of his career in wealth management, but I saw that uh, uh, he did a two-year stint with Teach for America while getting his master's in secondary education and teaching. That's really amazing. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thanks, Matt. It's uh, an honor to be here. Great. Well, I'm going to start with you, Julie. Why don't you tell us a little bit about First Wave Financial? Thanks, Matt. Uh, First Wave Financial has a super cool story. It uh, has its beginnings in a CPA firm, and our first client is actually a classic example of our ideal client. It's the mother of our founder, Tom Kirk. Tom's dad was a doctor, and he spent his entire career saving well and amassing wealth to be able to provide for his family without really knowing how um, how much money he needed. And he just kept on working and working and worked even after he was diagnosed with cancer and uh, worked up until he, he passed away. And when he when he died, they discovered that you know he had plenty of money. He could have taken off significantly sooner and enjoyed his life, um, the end of his life with his with Tom's mom. And as a result, he instead ended up with significant wealth and it was a very you know, a sad moment with the family when they, they lost their dad and could have had him enjoying life a lot a lot longer during the second phase of that was an investing the family money um, they tried several options it was from brokerage companies um, bank trust departments and even insurance uh, based advisors and what they came across of cookie cutter approaches to investing, ready-made solutions, certainly proprietary products. And they are offering these, these options without even knowing about her. And even within the same bank, they would come up with every, every year or so a new proprietary product that would have more fees associated with it. And there was a light bulb that went off with Tom and he decided that there had to be a better way. And so he started his his own firm, and it was fee-based from day one. And that was in 1995. 
He operated side by side with a CPA firm for a number of years, and eventually they bought each other out. He rebranded in 2012 as First Wave Financial. Four years later, in 2016, he transitioned ownership internally to an advisor that had been with him for almost 20 years, who happened to be my sister. So that was a, a great launch for the, the firm. And in that, he says that he has found the cure for financial cancer, that people are dying out there making you know, bad decisions, sometimes fatal decisions with their wealth and that he, he wanted to offer a, another solution. And in our firm, people who get the most value, I share many of the same characteristics. They are complexity that wealth brings. And they are, many of them are in a life transition that have many complicated issues that need to be solved. They come to us with a million dollars or more of investable assets. They get the opportunity to participate in our unique process we named the Wealth Care Solution which includes a financial plan. They follow our advice. They ignore the media that is out there in the financial space and the hype that comes along with it. They're all great delegators and they let us help them in all things that are financial and allow us to manage all their money. And as a result, they um, refer their friends and family. And that's been the, the foundation of the firm. We today have a AUM of about 400 million. It changes from any, any given day, of course. We have a great team of 12 employees with three advisors that support the needs of our 233 clients. That's an incredible story. I've, I've heard like um, performance reporting tools have come out of RAs, right? Hell, we just didn't think there was enough, uh, there was anything that worked. So we sort of built our own and then realized oh, well, this would actually would work for, for others. Or we've heard CRM stories. And, and I definitely have heard that story before of, oh, we, our RIA started as a single family office, but I've never heard in detail a, a story like that. That's incredible. Thanks. There, um, one thing you may um, ask is, you know, why, why First Wave? How did we come up with the name First Wave? And we're, we're sit here in a, um, a beach community. We all grew up on the beach and the founder was a, was a surfer. And uh, there's a lot that's um, in common between surfing and investing is that when you're sitting on a surfboard and you're out there paddling in the water, you're looking at the horizon, waves are breaking to the left yeah. and they're breaking to the right. And you're sitting in the middle going, where's the waves? And so you, you paddle over to where the wave was. And you know, sometimes you're too early, sometimes you're too late. And uh, many times you, you miss it completely. And so we um, took that uh, analogy to where we, um, um, the goal is to capture the first wave of performance across the entire spectrum. And we respond strategically across the global market as it occurs, instead of trying to anticipate it. I love it. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, definitely the, the tide going in and out, that definitely um, r relates to the market. I love, I love the analogy. Yeah. Well, Chris, um, give us a story of Vance Wealth. Absolutely. So Vance Wealth was founded in 2003 by John Vance, um, and it was a solo advisory practice, kind of building one relationship at a time. And uh, fast forward to today, we now have about 450 million in assets under management. As Julie said, that's been ebbing and flowing based off market volatility. Um, and we have around 300 relationships that we serve. 
Um, the team has now grown from one, one team member, uh, John, the founder initially, to 18 people uh, at the time of this recording. And uh, we're actually based in Santa Clarita, California. We do have a second office in Pasadena, and we serve people throughout those two communities. Um, the firm really has three primary client types that it serves. The first and, and the core of the business, what we were founded on, is working with families who need help answering the fundamental retirement planning question. Do I have enough to last me the rest of my life and to allow me to do the things that I want to do? And that that's really what we kind of answering that question and putting you know, numbers behind that has been the foundation of our firm. Uh, that follows a traditional AUM model and probably accounts for about 75% of our revenue today. Uh, over the course of John building the business, he really started to gravitate towards uh, business planning for himself and, and started to uh, network and, and get to know other entrepreneurs in our community. And so today we also uh, serve a second client type, which is business owners. And oftentimes they don't have the time or the interest to focus on their personal finances because they've got a business to run. And so we focus heavily on tax planning for these clients and, and helping them to think through all the various facets of their wealth. Um, oftentimes the business owners don't have large investment portfolios because their wealth is tied so closely into the business that they're running. Um, and oftentimes real estate is heavily involved as well. So we've adopted a fee-based model for serving these clients. And that accounts for about 15% of our firm's revenue. And then the third client type, which actually kind of fits really nicely with the business owners is, is we also serve group 401k plans. We have of our 300 relationships, about 40 of them are group 401k plans. And that's about now 50 to 60 million of our total assets. And there we're focusing on reducing fees, you know, executing on a prudent process. And of course, educating plan participants and things of that nature. And that makes up really the last 10% of, of our firm's uh, revenue. Um, historically, we've kind of grown just through referrals, right? Word of mouth from clients um, who are satisfied and happy with the work we've been doing, uh, COIs and other professionals in the community, and then just community involvement with organizations. It's important for us to have advisors who sit on boards and, and things of that nature within the community. Um, but our plan for the future is kind of shifting. So it's our goal to build a digital marketing engine that will allow us to scale beyond the dependency of one-to-one -one relationships. And we think that's going to be an important driver of our growth in the future. And so our stated goal for the, in the next three years is for digital marketing efforts to generate at least half of our firm's inbound leads. And we're really excited to kind of dive into that space and continue to use that to you know, catapult our firm forward. Fantastic. Half of your leads going forward will come from digital marketing. That's, that's incredible. You got to be ambitious, Matt, right? <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's great. I love it. Um, well, Julie, I'll go back to you. So, so I mentioned your background in in healthcare. Walk us through the the path that led you to running operations at an RIA just a few years ago. That's great. Thanks, Matt. I um I started my professional career in healthcare administration. Most of that time, I was working with independent, entrepreneurial minded physicians. And I, I ran their medical practices, built facilities, surgical facilities, and ran them, uh, labs, imaging, and all the other operational activities that follow along that in include M&A, finance, HR, compliance, IT, 
that are all amazingly similar to the operation side of financial services. I was very, very happy when I was making a, the transition from, from healthcare to financial services. I started listening to um, this podcast, as we talked about, and hearing the different career paths of others really did give me the confidence that I could make the jump to financial services. And Matt, you may think I'm making it up, but I, I actually set a goal for myself two years ago to one day be on this program. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I um, um, thought it would be um, an amazing opportunity that somebody that I highly respected, which of course is you, um, deemed me competent and that I could be able to add a valuable perspective on the industry. I um, am actually um, the last of five biological children in my family to join the financial services industry. Three of my siblings work in one firm, and then my sister and I work together at First Wave. It leads to some um, kind of funny conversations around the, the dinner table. Um, we think it's funny. I don't know if the rest of the um, members of our family think it's so much fun, but it, it's been a, a, a great a great time over the last few years. And you know, I wonder now, and my family wonders why it took me so long to join the quote-unquote family business. <laughs> Once I was able to get in to, to this industry, I really sought out um, mentors and started networking and found learning opportunities. And when I heard about the launch of the COO Society, I jumped into that uh, as quickly as I could. And I just have really learned a great deal from the society. It's great. I related mostly around the, the client facing activities, because that's completely different than it was in healthcare from client onboarding, client segmentation, organizational um, design, and then of course, succession planning, the list goes on and on. It's just been a, a great opportunity to, to be a part of that program and look forward to, to more learnings in that. Awesome. Well, thank you for, for all of that. And as someone who owns the business with, with my wife, I mean, everybody says, wow, how do you work with your spouse? And I said, well, we have really strange date nights. <laughs> Because we just sit around and talk about work all day long. So I, I definitely can relate to your family sitting around the dinner table and talking shop the whole time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm um, I'm really glad that my skills did transfer so well from healthcare to financial services because it would be terrible for my sister to have to fire me. <laughs> That's great. Well, Chris, I, I mentioned your career path a little bit and some of the things you've done, um, but but walk us through walk us through your journey. Yeah, and I, I, just to piggyback briefly on Julie's comment, uh, the, this this podcast in particular was was really important for my decision to step into this role as a COO. So I mirror a lot of Julie's comments in terms of you know a desire to be on the podcast, but also just deriving so much value from it. So thanks, Matt, for for the work you're doing because it's it's been really helpful and transformative for my own personal career journey. So thank you. Thank you. Um, so as you mentioned, you know, right after college, in fact, the day after I graduated, I went to UC Irvine in Orange County, uh, California. Uh, the day after I graduated, I jumped on an airplane and flew to St. Louis, Missouri, and joined a program called Teach for America, where I taught science and coached basketball at a low-income, underserved high school in the city. And I did that for two years. As you mentioned, I got my master's in education uh, during that time. And, uh, and when the two years were up, you know, that's the commitment you make through that program. I was ready to, to pivot to, to something else. And I found myself drawn to the industry of private wealth management, kind of combining some of the skills of teaching with some of the analytical skills that, that uh, I've always kind of been naturally gravitating towards. 
Um, and so I took a job initially as just an entry-level advisor at a brokerage firm. And I quickly realized that I had no interest in kind of traditional sales within the industry, cold calling and things of that nature. And so I left that job fairly, fairly quickly after starting. And a couple months later, I was introduced to John, our founder, through a family friend. Um, and John ended up offering me a position as a kind of blend between an operations associate and a junior advisor at the firm. In fact, my first project was migrating the firm's CRM from Act 2.0 to Microsoft Dynamics. So uh, was was thrown right into the fire with the big operations project there. Um, and from there, I, I just continued to take on challenges at the firm and I learned a lot. I you know, was responsible for moving us to a new trading platform. I you know, was part of kind of transitioning us to a more institutional approach to investment management and a model-based approach, which is what we're using today. I became the firm's primary trader. And then eventually uh, I, I stepped into a role as a lead advisor and I was managing about a third of our, our firm's relationships. And that was in 2017. And at that time, I kind of decided I, I didn't think this was the right industry for me or the right place for me. And so I actually stepped away and I went back to school for two years in a full-time MBA program. And I had no intention of getting back into the private wealth space. I was aiming to pivot into maybe the technology industry or perhaps a large kind of institutional investment management firm. Um, but over the two years of the program, I found that I really loved small businesses and I did not want to join a big global conglomerate. And a lot of my skills and interests aligned really well with the private wealth space. So what I thought was accidental in, in landing in the industry actually seemed to be uh, quite appropriate for me. And so after wrapping up the, uh, the MBA program at UCLA, I joined an RIA based in Beverly Hills called Checky Capital. And that firm served ultra high net worth clients. And my role was the mix between business development and financial planning. And then when COVID hit, the business development side for me dried up. I was pretty early in that process and, and hadn't really you know, uh, achieved the, the, the groundswell of, of, of new clients. And so I then started to shift into more of an operations role at, at Checky Capital. And it was at that time, about October of 2020, that uh, Vance Wealth, approached me about rejoining the firm and stepping into the role as COO. The firm had decided to leave the independent broker-dealer platform that it had always been on and to become an RIA. And at the time of that switch, they realized they really needed some professional management at the firm to step in and, and run the day-to-day -day operations. And so after about three months of discussions, listening to lots of these podcast episodes, um, and talking with my wife about it, I did decide to rejoin Vance Wealth. I stepped into the role of COO in February of 2021. And so I'll be coming up on two years uh, in, in that role um, here in a couple months. That's fantastic. Well, this year saw a lot of turmoil in the markets, which we hadn't experienced in quite some time. But one trend that continued uh, was the fight for talent. We've seen this for the last several years. In Schwab's benchmarking study this year, advisors ranked recruiting and increasing staff skill sets 
as the highest priority for next year, even ahead of client acquisition, which you never see. <laughs> client acquisition is always number one on those lists. And Lisa Salvi of Schwab, she said, in 16 years of doing this study, we've never seen hiring come in this high on the priority list. I mean, literally number one. Um, so we've talked a lot on this podcast that at most RIAs, the COO is the firm's hiring manager. So I wanted to ask about different strategies you both have incorporated when onboarding new employees. Uh, I think, and people have heard me on this podcast say, I think in general, the RA industry does a pretty poor job of bringing on new employees. There's the hiring process and putting these poor candidates through the interview process, which we can say people do a good job or don't do a good job, but once they've made it through the interview process and they show up on their first day, I think there's a, I feel there's a massive letdown in, in, in ushering these people into the, into the organization. So Chris, I'll go to you first on this one. What, what are you guys doing from a, from an employee onboarding standpoint? Yeah, well, I'll start by saying that we, we probably haven't found the right answer to this question yet, uh, but I do think we are getting closer. Um, I think as you just pointed out, you know, for many years, the onboarding at our firm has been pretty loose, right? Our approach has been almost learned by osmosis, um, get new hires engaged in work early on, and then steadily add to their plate. Um, and then we would kind of just expect new hires to figure it out. And, you know, when they needed help, they'd ask for it and we'd provide support as, as it came and those questions came our way. So, of course, that isn't a very systematic uh, approach. It doesn't create a tremendous amount of um, uh, uh, consistency in the in, in the onboarding, and in fact, you know, leads to a lot of variance in, in new hire onboarding. And so, as often we do, I think we we naturally went to the other extreme, right? And we started um, taking an approach for new hires when I when I early on in my time in the role of kind of building out a calendar almost for like every hour of an employee's journey for the first six weeks of employment, and of course. This was overkill. <laughs> we we did um, through that process. We were able to develop a pretty thorough outline of what we wanted people to learn in their first weeks on the job. But it it was leading to several challenges. So one is that was really hard to manage, right? And it put a tremendous amount of work on me and others on the team who are involved to build out these schedules because they're they're fairly customized to the new employee and their role. Uh, secondly. Um, just balancing the calendars once they were set was, was a pretty big mess. And we always had to make changes on the fly, which of course brings into question whether the plan is really a good one in the first place or not. Um, and then finally, and, and I think most importantly, it wasn't allowing our new team members to build the necessary time management and critical thinking skills they needed to be successful members of the team. So um, that, that was becoming a bigger and bigger issue for us in that approach. And so today, what we've done is we kind of tried to find ourselves back in the middle. Um, we're really focused on two major themes with employee onboarding. First is exposing new hires to the different roles that people play at the firm. We want everyone to have a working knowledge of how all the pieces fit together. I think that's important, whether you're the receptionist, on the marketing team, the operations team, a parent planner, an advisor, or whatever, I want you to understand what everyone's doing at the firm. So we, we spend time there um, with with one-on-one -on -one meetings and 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 face-to-face -face interactions um, for team members to really understand just what everyone does and how it works uh, fits together. And then the second, and I think probably the most important, is we focus on instilling good habits in our team early on so that they feel productive 
and in control of their work. And there's two examples I'll give of that. So first, um, each team member is taught in the first week they're here to build out a start and end of day process to what their their week should look like. And of course, early on, we, we help with that a bit. But our goal is to have every team member create a habit that they set um, to make each and every single day successful for themselves. And by doing that, it, it requires them to kind of think through what their day is going to look like um, and, and at the end of the day to set the stage for the next day. And it leads to what we find to be more productive um, days, which you know turn into weeks and months and so on. Secondly, we also expect our employees to time block on their calendars. And, you know, yeah, there's there's a component of that where we just kind of want to see and know what everyone what everyone has on their plate at any given time. But more importantly, we found that the employees who really embrace time blocking um, and, and they're clearly mapping out their days are the employees who tend to get through the most in every day and are the ones who at the end of each quarter are accomplishing their goals most consistently. And so we're also focused in the onboarding stage at, at really driving that point home to new hires. Um, and what we realized was that by spoon feeding new hires a calendar with everything that they needed to accomplish, and then eventually, you know, we take that away from them after six weeks and they'd kind of struggle to figure out what to do next. And they were depending on that a little bit. We hadn't built the right skill set. And so now by focusing on forming good habits during that onboarding stage, our goal is for team members to feel confident in their role and in control of their workload. And so that's really where we're focused right now. And, um, and I think it's, it's, it's having success and we'll see as we continue to bring new members onto the team. It's such a basic concept, but myself included, none of us are really good at it. Start the day with asking yourself, well, what would, what would success look like for today? Like what has to happen for me to feel good at the end of the day? Nobody, again, myself included, everyone just, you just show up, you open your emails, right? And bang, bang, bang. And you start, you get into reaction mode. But I think that's fantastic that you're really trying to drive that, that, that habit of ask yourself, what is success going to look like? Well, Julie, I know you created a mentor program for new hires. Talk to us a little bit about that. We um, do. We uh, have a great mentor program for all our new hires. We assign a mentor that is typically in a, a different department. And um, every every new hire, they they meet once a week through their first 90 days with, uh, with their mentor. Sometimes it's as, as short as 15 to 30 minutes. And other times they'll spend you know, more time with them. They'll go out to lunch to really get to know each other. The mentor's role is to help the, the new employee to get to know the culture of the firm and act, act as a safe zone to ask questions that they might be either scared or intimidated to, to go to their trainer or the supervisor about. And so it um, really does help to have that mentor to answer some of those what they might consider a, a silly question. We are also a, a longtime participant in the Strategic Coach Program, uh, which is an organization that provides business coaching for entrepreneurs. Uh, we use all the strategic coach tools and a unique process to help to create a self-managing team. Um, many of our team were either raised by entrepreneurs or had their own entrepreneurial pursuits and all appreciate the culture that we've built. And the mentor program helps to introduce all our new hires to the first wave way. In meeting with their, their mentor um, each week after that meeting, they um, are 
craft an email they send to their leadership and to me that would include what's their positive focus for the week. They answer any questions that they might have about their training spreadsheet. Are they keeping up with their training program? Are there any problems that they encountered during the week? Are they making progress on their 90-day success criteria? And are there any additional resources that they need? And also in that process, there's a formal 45-day check-in process. Same with the 90-day, have a 90-day progress conversation. And then we do it again at 180 days. And it all rolls into um, annual progress conversations that we're in the middle of right now. It's an awesome process that we have within the firm. And the goal is that we um, we live our, the mission of the firm every day, which is helping people we care about create the life they dream about. Uh, we use it internally with our with our team. We use it with clients and with the the goal that we're you know delivering to our our team. Me in particular is a you know, my team is my are my top clients, and to be able to deliver and provide for them the simplicity, balance, confidence, and conviction in their job. They've got, they're, they're doing the best thing for themselves and for the firm. And they've got simplicity in the, how they have order and control of their, of their day-to-day life, um, working life that leads balance to their, to their personal life as well, creating um, decisions that support and re- reinforce each other and leading to them having confidence in their job and to know that they're on a good path for their um, personal life and that they are working towards securing their own personal financial future that they desire. And then ultimately, this whole process and the mentor program is key to that. It's giving them um, the conviction that they'll be able to enjoy the success of working in a healthy, passionate environment that um, will lead to success today and into the future of their career. I love it. I love what both of you have talked about, just making sure right from day one that that employees are feeling uh, not justified What's the word I'm looking for, uh, are feeling fulfilled in their, in their careers and in their, in their, uh, uh, pursuits within your, within your firms. I love it. So Chris, once you've onboarded, once you've onboarded the employees, talk to us about how you keep them engaged ongoing and feel like their career is progressing in a manner that that's going to keep them motivated. Yeah, this is a, a great question, Matt. And again, I wish I had all the answers, but <laughs> frankly, we're still working through it. Um, but there are a few things we're doing today that that maybe worth sharing here. Um, first of all, I'd just say, you know, we understand how vital our team is to the success of both our clients and our firm. And one of the reasons that we're hyper-focused on growing our firm is because we have a lot of young people on the team who are looking to advance their careers. And they want to feel confident that Vance Wealth will continue to provide them with the opportunities that they need uh, to succeed. And so we're constantly focusing on growth because as, as the firm grows, we can, we can you know, give those, those folks the opportunity to, to step into newer roles and take on more responsibilities. Uh, to that end, we actually hired an HR manager a couple of months ago. Her name's Brandy Sanchez, and she's been awesome. Uh, and the primary reason that we hired her is to make sure that we have someone who is full-time thinking about our employees and advocating for their continuous growth. And as you know, Matt and and Julie, you know, you're pulled in so many directions as COO, and it was just really important for us to have one person in this role constantly thinking about our employees and and that being their primary focus. Uh, A big theme that Brandy's leading the charge on right now is creating a culture where honest and immediate feedback is expected. 
And, you know, it's easy to avoid interpersonal conflict, to focus solely on and applauding the good work that others do. Um, and that is important, but you can't expect people to grow if they aren't aware of the areas for improvement. And that's where we found that disconnects can begin to form between reality and expectations between the firm and its, its team members. And so we're focused in two areas. They were focused on helping managers get comfortable with providing all kinds of feedback on a frequent basis, both constructive and positive reinforcement. Uh, and, and we you know, want managers to be given that feedback as, as frequently as possible, daily and weekly. Um, and then simultaneously, we're retraining our team so that they feel confident in advocating for themselves and taking personal ownership of their career progression. And I think the last point is really the most important um, when I think about keeping the team motivated. It's making sure that they feel like they're in control of their career progression at Vance Wealth, that it's not something that I'm controlling or their manager is or John, the founder is, that they feel like through their own work and effort that they can control their, their career outcomes. And that's really important for us. And I think important for people to feel that, that sense of control if they want to have a long and, and healthy career at our firm. Fantastic. Well, Julie, how, how have you handled career development at First Wave? Right. We have, a, a yet again, another great story to tell about career development and uh, a great track record of promoting from within. And it starts with PSA as a pivotal role within the organization. Uh, they uh, support our wealth coaches, which are advisors, and really support the, the client foundational relationship. And they are forward-facing with, with all of our clients. And it is a opportunity for a, a lifetime career in and of itself, but it has been the launching point for um, many of our teammates to um, advance their career. And the classic example starts with, with Laura Cheeseman, who's the owner of the firm. She joined the firm as a CSA in 2001, was promoted to an associate advisor, and then ultimately to an advisor, which gave her the opportunity to become the owner of the firm. Our VP of Client Services, who is my counterpart in the COO role, she uh, started again as a CSA. She became the Client Services Manager and is now the promoted to the VP of, of Client Services. And she's a part of the senior executive team and leadership team of the firm. Uh, we have a, a financial planner that was started as a CSA. Our, um, we have a, a trader that started as a college intern and it got promoted up through operations associate to, to trader. One of our great advisors, wealth coaches started as a portfolio manager and then later became a trader and now is part of the senior leadership team as an advisor. We just go in and concentrate um, very well on opportunities for learning and they work hard to be the best that they could be in that role and make themselves in value to the firm. And those are the people we look for. We treat them well, reward them, they work hard. And as a result, we're always looking internally for, for promotion opportunities. We blend both the professional development with personal and work with everyone to help to discover their unique ability, which again is a strategic coach uh, program. And we currently have six of our team members going through the unique ability training, which is led by our VP of client services, Leslie Carlson. And it's about a year-long process. The, the goal is for all of us to ultimately spend 80% of our time working in our unique and excellent abilities, which drives high performance and job satisfaction. 
And we have found that this training also carries over very well into our team's personal life to help create that balance that we all um, seek within our lives. So we've got a great track record and been a wonderful experience for me personally, and to feel the support of the team and of Laura, her commitment to my personal growth as well. Yeah, I, I love, like you said, that track record, having, having that, um, the proof is in the pudding and to show people when they're joining the firm that, that if you keep your head down <laughs> and you work hard and you show value, et cetera, et cetera, um, it, the, the, the roadmap is, is there um, at the firm. You can see where you can, where you can progress and, and uh, the sky's the limit. I love it. Yeah, there's even a couple other examples is that we have um, um, a receptionist, we call that position, the director of first impressions, and uh, one who started in that role gosh, over 10, 10 years ago, became, um, um, is now the client service, service project coordinator. And we even had a, uh, a temporary receptionist that, that joined us and is now an operations associate. So we, we take it seriously. And it's putting the, the time and effort into that uh, professional development that, that guide people and endear them uh, very much to the firm and want to continue to work in an entrepreneurial environment. So we've tackled the HR side of your jobs. Now let's talk about tech. Um, Julie, I'm going to go to you first on this one. How, how have you evaluated what tools and vendors will make up your tech stack at First Wave? Uh, we, we are a big fan of bringing in an expert to help guide us through our decision-making processes that come through the tech side of the world. And currently our, our tech stack consists of the Orion platform with Eclipse for planning and basis code for compliance. Uh, we use uh, money, money tree for financial planning. Last year, we started with Holistic Plan for tax planning. And uh, we have a very outdated CRM with Juncture Desktop that we have now retained RIA Oasis to guide us in that selection process and implementation for our new CRM. And we start that in January. And I know we, you interviewed Kristen with RIA Oasis in the COO Society. That's really exciting that we're working with Kristen. That's exactly right. I think she's fantastic when it comes to CRM and workflows. And so, yeah, when we did our CRM uh, course, she was the first person I thought of to interview to just talk through high level um, uh, ways to address and, and approach building out workflows and CRM. She's really great. We're excited for the process and it's, uh, it, it's, it's a daunting task. And to think about doing it alone uh, um, is, is more than I could bear. So reaching out and finding uh, an expert that that's what they do for a living uh, provides great, great confidence for the entire team that we will be successful to be able to transition off juncture desktop when it sunsets and on June 30th of 2023. Perfect. And Chris, I know you've been evaluating a few different vendors. Talk to us about the process that you've gone through. Yeah, and I just, I love what Julie said. Like we talk about it here too. It's kind of this who, not how mentality. And and we quite frankly on the tech stack probably need to, to lean into that a little bit more. So uh, I appreciated that response, uh, Julie. You know, for us, when I think about the tech stack and, and which vendors we want to work with, the most important word that comes to mind is just open. You know, I'm constantly asking the question, is vendor A open, uh, accessible? Are they going to work with vendors X, Y, and Z? And the reason that question is so important is because it gives me flexibility. The, the reality is that I need to make a decision about one software system today, but the change may have implications up and down the tech stack, both today and in the future. 
So I need to be thinking several steps ahead. And I'll give you an example of how this played out with the recent simple, I'll put an air quote around simple change that we made uh, to our phone system. So we had been using our old phone provider for close to a decade and decided for a few reasons to make a change. Mainly, we wanted a compliant texting option that we wasn't really available, the, the previous provider. So I went out and researched a bunch of other phone providers. Uh, but what I realized very quickly was that our options were limited to those that integrated with our archiving solution, since we were looking for text message capability. And so now I'm not just evaluating the phone provider, I'm also evaluating the archiving tool, right? And do I want to continue to use this tool? Are the integrations that it has with the phone providers sufficient? And uh, am I able to, you know, should I make changes to the archiving tool? Um, what is it allowing me to do? Uh, and then to, of course, add another layer of complexity, because it's often what I find myself doing, um, I ask the question, well, how is this going to work with our CRM? And I guess as a quick note to maybe piggyback again on Julie's comment, you know, we're, we're, we are in love with our current CRM. It's fine, but we'll probably be making a change in the near future. So now I'm guessing <laughs> at what CRM system we might use in the future and then trying to evaluate that as a part of our current phone system decision, which of course is a fool's errand. And so I love this example because it's a seemingly benign change, right? Oh, just find a new phone provider. But it has all these other ancillary considerations and it highlights very clearly how important it is to have vendors who view broad and deep integrations as a part of their value proposition to customers. And so today, as we're in the middle of evaluating our CRM system, and whether we want to make a change, um, you know, it, it's a much more involved decision than the phone system, but I find myself going through a lot of the same motions. You know, what starts as an evaluation of our CRM becomes an evaluation of our custodian, our performance reporting software, our marketing systems, and so much more. And how are all these going to work together? And so it continues to be the most important factor in all of this is the importance of our vendors uh, to, to be willing and able to share data between other systems because it's going to give us so much more freedom and flexibility to evolve as our business does. And that's really the core focus for me when it comes to the tech stack. It's a fantastic real world example. I, I, I always call it 3D chess. When you're choosing all the different vendors that you've got to think in three dimensions <laughs> and and you know we've talked about it a little bit here i know we've talked about it in coo society but um i get the call all the time uh a frustrated advisor says just tell me the best crm and i'll go buy it just uh, you know just cut to the chase i don't i don't have a lot of time or energy for this big analysis just tell me which uh trading tool is the best one i'll go get it and it's just not that easy it's well i can't tell you which it's not which is the best trading tool on the market it's which best which is the best trading tool for the rest of your tech stack or for how you're running models or how, you know and that always sounds like consultant speak of trying to work my way into this this really complicated engagement but it really you you laid it out perfectly you just you can't just say just show me the best you know, look at everything in isolation and say i just need the best client portal i need the best reporting system whatever so i love it yeah well, we, we talked about hiring. Now we've talked about technology. Chris, I know you also handle compliance at your firm. So my next question for you both is just, how do you successfully juggle so many responsibilities and ensure that nothing is, is slipping through the cracks? And, and Chris, I'll, I'll go to you first on that one. 
Yeah, I mean, it, like you said, it's a juggling act, right? And it's definitely one I continue to struggle through. Uh, one important lesson that I've learned in my time on the job so far is the truth behind the cliche, when everything's important, nothing's important. <laughs> and I think that that's come to bear for me many times throughout my, my last two years. Um, I think it's very easy in this role to chase after shiny objects. Uh, you end up spreading yourself too thin and, and, and you're you know spread across too many different fronts. Um, and what I found is that priorities are going to emerge and you can either decide to set them yourself or you can allow them to happen to you. And I've oftentimes allowed them to happen to me. Um, and sometimes things turn out for the best, but the chances are you're going to feel overwhelmed uh, more often than not. You know, how have I tried to combat that? Well, first, I spent a lot of time on setting priorities, not just for myself, but for others on the team. You know, for most people at our firm, there's more work on their plate than can get done in the day or the week. And so a lot of times I'm spending, you know, uh, my, my time in meetings with folks, helping them to review their lists of projects and, and tasks that are, that are open-ended and helping them reestablish priority to set them on the right, the right path. Um, and I do the same for myself. I spend time on both a daily and a weekly basis. We talked about you know, establishing habits. Uh, I have a daily and weekly habit where I evaluate and spend about, I evaluate kind of where I'm spending my time and I make sure that I'm not neglecting the most important projects on my plate. And then secondly, I try to delegate as much as possible. And what I've found is that delegating responsibilities in a more systematic way is a lot easier for me than trying to delegate ad hoc items. You know, when an email comes across my my uh, my inbox and I, I need help with it, you know, shooting that off to someone else, I find that more challenging than kind of trying to find a responsibility uh, to assign to someone else so that there's kind of clear expectations moving forward. So one example of that, you mentioned, uh, Matt, that I'm also the CCO of the firm. Um, we work with Advisor Assist as our third-party compliance consultants, and we utilize their uh, compliance task management software, Advisor Cloud 360. And so we formally identified members of our team as delegate CCOs within that system. Uh, and that spreads the work across multiple people instead of all of that falling on my shoulders. So for instance, Tara on my team is responsible for reviewing our logs on a recurring basis. Uh, Chanel on the team is responsible for advertising reviews and so on. And each team member has been trained on how to identify issues and how to fix them or how to escalate them to me as needed. And I then set time on my schedule to spot check the work, to address items that are awaiting review, and to problem solve any issues that have been identified. So, you know, the beauty of that for me and why this makes it easier on myself is now on a go forward basis, it's really clear who's responsible for what. I don't have to constantly feel like I'm asking for help or burdening my team with something at an inconvenient time. Uh, instead, we've clearly identified a responsibility. We know who owns that responsibility. And my job is now to support the team when they need help and to hold them accountable so that the expectations um, are being met. Fantastic. Everything you said is spot on, the, the delegation, um, relying on other team members. I love it. So Julie, what, what time management tips and tricks can you share with us? Well, I think uh, beginning with, with delegating and, and Chris, you hit it, hit it right on and, and, and delegating is the key and providing oversight and direction to team. 
really does help to get um, the ball moving and everyone moving in the same direction. And sometimes we um, we we are, like you said, chasing the next shiny object. And and there's, I think, even a time last year where we said, you know, we're we're putting a moratorium on great new ideas. No more great ideas until we we cross over this this one threshold. And and I think that um, really helped a lot for the team to know that they weren't going to be getting any additional um, new projects on their plate. And by um, understanding where everybody is um, functioning in their unique ability and what everybody's great at and what they enjoy doing really makes delegating so much easier. Something that I'm just not good at or just doesn't feed me will um, al allow me to give it to somebody that is um, operating uh, in their unique ability and they they love doing it. And so they're they're better at it and they uh, they enjoy it and it's it's off my plate. So that is um, um, a great, great opportunity when you when you really know the inner working of, of people's uh, unique ability. With um, for me, um, and Chris, you talked about it in your with your team training is that um, um, living by my calendar uh, um, and it's um, stressing it. And again, it's another strategic coach um, philosophy is you know, live and die by your calendar. We calendar our focus time and focus time is what doing the job that you were hired to do and what are the you know money making activities that that you get to do for the firm and then also calendar uh, my buffer time which is you know getting the time spent and the work that needs to be done that only I can do and getting ready to um, to drive the focus the focus time everybody's jobs are a little a little different and and outlining what is um, focus and buffer for different different team members is is an interesting uh, process and it's a um, it's a, a really great way to um, best manage time and um, calendaring it and um, delegating um, to to the right individual within the team to get things done. And I am a firm firm believer that there really is no such thing as multitasking. That take one thing at a time. It's okay to close your door okay to focus on what really needs to be done and, and turn off the email for a while to get done what needs to be done. I was a big believer in multitasking early in my career. And I've definitely, as the, as the gray hairs have, have piled on over the years, uh, I definitely have come to the realization that it is, it is a fallacy. And, and it, I love, yeah, exactly what you said. You got to do one thing at a time. <laughs> So I mentioned this is the last episode of 2022. So uh, with that, my, my final question for you both is what metrics are you focused on for 2023? And uh, Chris, I'll, I'll go to you first on this one. Yeah, sure. I mean, so we implement EOS. I know you've had other guests on the podcast talk yep. about that, but you know, we, we have actually moved our annual strategic planning meeting to July because we found that taking a couple of days out of, you know, out of the calendar right now is just unfeasible for, especially for our advisors. Uh, and the summer months are a lot easier for the team to take time away. So we went through this exercise back in July. Uh, we have several goals that we're working towards for this year. Uh, two growth oriented goals. One is, you know, we we're, we have a percent revenue growth target and we have a net new revenue dollar amount that we're targeting for the for you know 12 month period. Um, we have a team oriented goal kind of focused around just team building. Uh, so we, our goal is to hold four events, one each quarter, two of those are focused on social. So recently we went to like a mini golf go-kart place as a team, which was a tremendous amount of fun. 
Um, and then two of those are focused on volunteer opportunities. So we've, we've done things like volunteer at, you know, local uh, food pantry or, or uh, there's a, an organization here that serves um, kind of single mothers or at risk, at risk families. And so uh, we volunteered at one of their kind of distribution centers um, for a day. So that, that's one of the goals that we have is just to keep a focus on the team building. Uh, we're planning to open a new office in Newport in 2023. So there's some goals associated with that. Um, we've recently rolled out a new business plan offering for our business owner clients called Simplify 365. And that's where a lot of our digital marketing efforts are focused. So, um, you know, we have some lead generation goals there. Um, we're planning to make a decision around a CRM. So once we've made that decision, there will certainly be some implementation measures that, that we're going to then kind of put in place around timelines and expectations for that migration. And then finally, we're building out career development paths for both advisors and for the, our operations team. Um, and one of our goals is to have all these career paths clearly defined and rolled out to the teams to further enhance the, the communication with the team and, and, and to really um, cement expectations around, you know, what, what our team members can, can expect from their careers as, as they continue to, uh, to put in time and effort and energy into their roles. Great. Well, uh, Julie, what initiatives are at the top of your list for next year? From a KPI standpoint, we have been developing dashboards uh, that center around employees, clients, uh, financial goals, and around oper operations, and consisting of, of results indicators and leading indicators uh, from a, a results indicators as you know, like revenue, revenue for clients, net new net new clients, net new revenue, existing client, net new revenue, um, the, all those things that will report that we're uh, a growing, thriving firm within the industry. And then backing it down to um, the leading indicators that are uh, predictive and that track how are we doing on activities that will move us in a positive direction. And, and we take those even down to the daily level, such as how many business development actions do we need in a day? What are the number of contacts that we need uh, for a new prospect that will lead to them becoming a client? Uh, what are the, the number of prospects we have in the pipeline, number of meetings for clients, and what's the, the time that it takes from prospect to client to help to reduce, um, um, re reduce the time from prospect to client and um, uh, in, all, in all aspects? So looking at, at all those um, different type of, of metrics and being very clear on what, what are the, the things that are going to help us keep our employees, help them to grow. As Chris, you, you mentioned, I love your, your career path development. We're on the same path with that as well. Um, and then um, um, really looking at our, from a client standpoint and client satisfaction and um, toying with the idea, I did it in healthcare, but looking at a, a net promoter score uh, for for clients, and you know we're um, a lot of times scared to ask clients, you know, what do they really think? But it's you know, it's the referability factor, and it, you know, proof is in the pudding. Are they referring clients? And so we've been driving down in the data to see how many of our clients have been referring um, their their friends, family, and and others to to us through the years, and and really looking at um, um, what what are the trends within within those clients, and and working to create more of them. Well, I think both of you are in line with Schwab's benchmarking study that, that 
a lot of the goals for next year are looking internal and making sure the employees are happy and and uh, you're hiring the right people you have them in the right seats so um i i, I love it and i also i just want to thank both of you for joining us today I, i've told you both individually how i found you to be very thoughtful leaders of your organizations i knew you'd have a lot of great ideas to share with us and you definitely fulfilled that so thank you julie and chris for being here today thanks matt it was great i appreciate you having me on matt really appreciated the time Thank you. Well, that, yeah, thank you, Julie. And that is a wrap on episode 47. Happy holidays to everyone, and we will talk to you in the new year.